This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode is also brought to you by Deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you go visit shopdeep.com and use the promo code FRIDAY30, you can take advantage of the ongoing Black Friday sale now through the holidays. Um, and it'll get you 30% off your next order. Our newest sponsor to the podcast is LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, We've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's that he's made over the last several years. Um, his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the northeast um northeast fishermen specifically offshore and uh and tuna fishermen so two of those products have been his uh his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna um you know you want to take care of that fish as as best you can prior to bringing him on board and part of that process is after the fight swimming the fish you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we when we sell our when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed <clears throat> and and accomplish that goal. So. Um, that was a pretty cool product that we that we collaborated on, and another one is uh, the new LT Marine uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants uh, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into. Uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, Facebook and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented 
um, into our our process aboard our boats and and it um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish, and um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new that new release hook um, from LT. Um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, uh, you can visit ltmarineproducts.com or check him out on Facebook and Instagram. Our guest today is Captain Dean Lambros of Canyon Runner Sport Fishing based out of Point Pleasant, New Jersey. Like many fishermen, Dean's passion for fishing began at a very young age, as did his exposure to offshore fishing. Dean joined the Canyon Runner team in the winter of 2009 as a mate, earned his captain's license in 2010, and worked his way up to being the captain of their 48-foot Viking by 2013 at the age of 24. Dean stays busy charter fishing the New Jersey canyons and offshore fishing grounds all summer long, and he travels to Cape Cod in the fall months to commercial bluefin tuna fish, as he does in the winter down in North Carolina. Dean is a passionate, hardworking, and skilled captain who sets an excellent example of what a good charter captain should be. In this conversation, we cover a lot of great topics. We discuss the Canyon Runner Sport Fishing Program and how their fisheries change throughout their season. Dean takes us through the typical tournament schedule for the Canyon Runner fleet. We all share our perspective on how COVID impacted charter fishing up here in the Northeast during the 2020 season. And Dean even shares details about how to be faster and more efficient in the cockpit. And he shares what he would run if he was only given a hundred bucks to spend on an offshore trolling spread. Taylor and I really enjoyed catching up with Dean on this one. Uh, he's a very, very experienced fisherman, captain, and um, especially when you consider his age and um, and how long he's been doing this for. Uh, we had a lot of laughs and, and we shared a lot of great information during this episode. So we really hope you enjoy. Without further ado, please welcome Captain Dean Lambros. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. Yeah. yeah. What's going on? I'm much, man. How are you? Good. You look so like professional and serious right now. <laughs> I can't even take it. <laughs> uh, new haircut, all slick back. Yeah, dude, but office is way different than the charter boat. Apparently. Holy shit. <laughs> dude, there was a period of time this summer where I went seven weeks without a haircut. That's disgusting. And it was in between Fourth of July. And I buzzed my hair, and I missed the giant wad of it, right? Because like trying to buzz oh your head in a, in like a boat, you know, like bathroom, right? Like yeah. a boat galley, like yeah. dude, head, whatever. Oh my god, dude! That's oh, amazing. it was nuts, man. I so you had like a mullet, but you didn't really know it. Yeah, basically. Cool. Basically, basically, dude. So uh, let's talk about fishing. Well, let's talk about yeah. all sorts of stuff. I think we should. I think we should start. I know it's not everyone's favorite topic, but I think we should start with. Uh, we'll get into Dean and intros and all that stuff later. But we've been kicking off most of it with the COVID story. Like, how was it for you? How or how is it for you for you guys at Canyon Runner and just personally? Yeah. Too? So, well, let's just back up a little bit because this was this was kind of interesting. So we sold the big boat in like last fall. Right. Yep. So um, we we're just downsizing. We downsized our crew, just took it and 
cut in half essentially. So now it's just myself and Mike and Mike is, you know, my co-captain. He's a teacher at Asbury park. So, um, he's like, they're all, all summer essentially. So like first week of June or second week of June, whatever, whenever they get out of school till like Labor Day weekend. And that's how we run the program. Got and then we have filling guys on either end. So, um, we were going to have like a different season. We knew that. And we just didn't know how different. Right. And, um, COVID hits. I think everybody started freaking out. Everything's locked up. The world's over. The stock market's tanking. Nobody has any money anymore, whatever. And um, so I remember being down in Jersey on a Saturday. And it was like, that was right when they opened the boat yards back up. There was like a two or three week closure of boat yards. And we were doing a little bit of boat work. Nothing crazy, just checking it out, figuring out what we we're going to do, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, you know, we were all kind of like, wow, this is, this is serious now. Yeah. And then we got, we just decided like, I think it was just before the closures, we did the motor work. So we just said, let's just get the boat in the water. We're good. Like if the boat's in the water floating, if we get opened up, we can go fishing. It could just be Mike and Dean on the boat at night, getting the boat together. Nobody's going to care. I was rigging the spreader bars at home, doing anything like all the tackle stuff I could do back home in Connecticut. And um, we were just going down there on weekends, taking care of little projects. And I remember it was like May 15th and we got the green light to go fishing. And we started May 23rd and it was just pretty much fast and furious, yeah, like as fast as you can go. Yeah. And you guys opened but, earlier than us. Yeah. So yeah. we did. I just, I just pulled out like my little, uh, sheet my excel sheet of, my, of the trips we started may 22nd was our first trip that was a day trip but we lost a whole bass season so we were supposed to have the boat in sandy hook to do like the um <clears throat> sandy hook bay striper fishery which for us is like an awesome little fishery because it's a short little hop they're like you could do two half day trips which for us is like awesome and when then we have the ocean stripers um Till just before we go uh, tune fishing, which is like May 20, 20th, 22nd now yep. for us. And um, so we lost that. That was what it was. If that was the casualty, fine. Um, and then it was just lock and load, man. I mean, it was just incredible. We did, um, I mean, I'm just looking at our stats. It's just like phenomenal. We basically went fishing every single day from uh, May 26th on. Yeah. It's awesome. It's crazy. Yeah. And when did you kind yeah. of wrap it up, I guess, or slow down? We slowed down. Well, so it's like every single day, and then we start fishing tournaments. Right. So we started fishing the tournaments. Man, when was that? That was the end of July, the July 29th. So it was every day, essentially. I think we probably had six days off all summer, and that's weather days. And, um, then we started doing the tournaments and the tournaments screw us up because you have to have the travel day and then you try and give everybody a prep day because yeah, no yeah. one wants to do a bunch of overnighters tired and then just go fish a go tournament. Right how many, how many tournaments did you guys do or do you typically do in a season? Um, it, you know, it changes. Uh, this year we did four, you know, some years we've done as many as eight or nine, but we try and hit like what we call the big tournaments. So like Tri-State Canyon Shootout, Montauk Canyon Challenge, um, White Marlin Open, the Mid-Atlantic, because those two tournaments are um, tremendous for tuna purses. I mean, they're just huge. White Marlin Open has a million-dollar tuna 
This mm-hmm. year, top boat took one point four million for tuna, that's and that's crazy. Crazy money. Pound bluefin. Right. Um, and in that tournament, especially because you have the option, the blue marlin, Calcutta money, their jackpot money reverts into tuna. The way that tu- the way that yeah, um, the uh, Calcutta's pay out. I mean, you like you really want to fish that one, um, just because you get a situation like that. Um, Mid Atlantic, because again, it's just the the yield from these tournaments is tremendous. And then we do the local tournament, um, the Manasquan River tournament, which yeah. is just like kind of a bragging rights thing. There's right. a little bit of money in it, but it's not really about. Everyone's that. got the local the local tourney that they support, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's that club's a good club. They've always been cool with us, and you're fishing amongst like the boys essentially. Um, but we try and do tournaments that we can be competitive in. So we're not fishing like we specialize in overnight tuna trips. So we try and do overnight tuna trips mm-hmm. in those tournaments. So Montauk Canyon challenge, tri-state and then Manasquan river tournaments are perfect for that. And it's like that perfect little sweet spot of like, there's enough money involved. It'll pay out well. So it makes sense to kind of do it. Right. Um, because you miss out on a lot of trips because you're scheduled oh, yeah. to do that tournament trip yep. and you have to schedule in for weather and it's, Tournaments aren't always like the one-two punch for charter fishing. Right. You really need to like make a decision amongst like the owner for us and then the crew as to what we want to do. That's why we don't we, we don't do we really can't do them on our boats right. up here. There's not enough you know? money really for any of the tournaments in the yeah. bay. Uh, there was a new one this year, but even still, I mean, you had to weigh in 30 miles away from you know where our boats out of, and then jump right back and do local charters and. You know, to, to get guys to spend a bunch of money to do a tournament, and then when it comes down to it, they're not winning much at the end of the day. And it's, it's not, it doesn't make sense financially, like you said. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah. at all. It's, it's really, really tough. So we just kind of just do a few tournaments that make sense. And, you know, we've definitely been on the bottom end of it and on the upper end of it. Um, but I think we can all, I mean, I think we all see the same thing. Yeah. It's not really profitable. But, you know, you got to have fun with it, too. Um and every once in a while you win something, so that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. The um, um the in in regards to the tournaments and COVID too, like what was I mean, I'm I'm assuming it was a lot di- different atmosphere. It was like fishing forward and not a whole on not a whole bunch of extra stuff going on. You know what? Our life, like the Canyon Runner tournament schedule didn't really change much. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, a lot of our operation really was show up, get ready, get prepped, fish mode, go. Yeah. Figure out: Are you gonna, you know, is there gonna be a check to collect at the end of this tournament, or are we on to the next trip? Hmm. Um, and just figuring all that out. Which, I mean, as you guys know, fishing every day—that's what's on your radar all the time. What's our first, second, and third moves after this? It's a giant right. chess game. Um, but in terms of COVID, I think everybody was like, "What is going to happen? What is COVID going to do to tournaments?" And the Big Rock set it off. I mean, it was the most money ever. Um, in the tournament Calcutta's at the Big Rock, most participants ever at Big Rock, and I think that that just set the momentum for why would we cancel these tournaments? Yeah, and it kind of created a, an interesting scenario where we had some some people, some charters, said we do not want to hang out on the boat. We want to know who's on the boat, and then we had some people that said I don't care. Um, for us, um, the tri-state we went to Block Island, but because of slips, 
we just couldn't get one. And our charter was coming from Long Island. Um, he, he's a gentleman that lives, uh, he has a home in Nassau County. So he drove up that day with his friends and they were a little COVID, I'm going to call it sensitive. Yeah, I'm not going right. to call it scared, but sensitive. They wanted to know, they didn't want to be around groups of people. Understandable. So for us, that worked out well. We kept the boat in Montauk and Kyle was so understanding of it. He made it super simple for us. We registered, we motored over, called him on the phone. He said, okay, you're clear to go. And we went. So that was really simple. That's awesome. Um, and then for the White Marlin Open and the Mid-Atlantic, the White Marlin Open, you can fish out of the four different inlets, Virginia Beach, Ocean City, Cape May, and Barnegat, so that we just kept the boat in Cape May. And um, there was a bye week in between the White Marlin Open and the Mid-Atlantic, so we just stayed in Cape May for three weeks. You know, um, you know, you fish a lot of tournaments when you when you're calling weeks bye weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, it was crazy. Like it's just. You know, it's just another trip. It's another day. So yeah. we, we hung out there for three weeks, and that was great. Um, that was really cool. But what was ironic about it is that we had such good fishing back home during all these tournaments that in the interim, we were running trips back home in Cape May, running back up to the Hudson to go fishing. So 125 miles Jesus. each way. It's kind of like it was just silly, but it's just the way the plan was. So we just we let it rip. It was pretty funny because the White Marlin Open, we fished out of Cape May, and then that next week we ran back up to the Hudson all week, and then the Mid-Atlantic we ran back up to the Hudson all week. So it was six, seven trips just back and forth to the Hudson, essentially, for the two weeks. That's crazy. So that was cool. So you downsize going in, well, quote-unquote downsize a canyon runner a little bit, consolidate things going into the season. Yeah. COVID hits. What what's your what's your view on it now? You know, now the season's essentially wrapped up for a little while anyway, you know? Like Well, for us, yeah. I mean, we had a couple things this year. We had tremendous tuna fishing, which we haven't seen in I would say 5 years, right? We had steady action from North Carolina all the way out to the east, right? So let's just call it east of the Hagline. Like in the canyons, you could go out and catch tunas in multiple different places. That's what I consider good fishing. Mm -hmm. Um, so with COVID, it was just, it kind of just took our clientele and just said, everybody's at the shore. I can go fishing whenever. So our clientele on these boats is a lot of corporate clientele. So what we saw was very few corporate charters, but those same guys just took their their son. We, or took right, their dude. We saw we saw the us. exact same thing up right. there. Yep, yep. But what was really cool is we get guys that can only go on weekends, or I can only punch out of the office. I got to get four days a week in the office. I can go Friday, Saturday. I can do a Sunday, Monday. But we had guys that could do Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um. And one of the things we did this year because of the fishing, when I say the fishing was good all summer, it went from started in the canyons and then pushed out to the 30 fat or pushed into the 30 fathom line. We spent essentially from that bye week, let's call it the second week, third week of August to God, what, when would this, yeah, we wrapped it up the 22nd of October fishing the 30 fathom line this little area, the triple wrecks out to the Hudson back and forth, like kind of springboarding either yeah. 30 fathom Hudson or the hundred fathom, then hundred fathom back, whatever, depending on the time of day. But the fishing was daytime chunking. 
So we did trips where we just went fishing for the day. So we kind of took that opportunity COVID gave us and just changed our schedule a little bit. And customers were happy. They, they got out for the day. We were able to put them on fish, bend the rod, and it was a victory. Yeah. It really was. Now, not every trip was a banner trip, but overall, we had very consistent fishing yeah. where everybody went home with plenty of fish. So that was great. That was really awesome. That's great. Most of your customers are meat guys, meat customers? or Yes and no. Yeah. We have a lot of, I would call them like um, white-collar clientele. They're right. really in it for the experience. They're not so Bring much Bring a few fish it. home. Yes, yeah. that type of thing. But we do have our meat fish clientele, absolutely. And one of the things we've been doing the last couple of years is just daytime sword fishing if the tuna fishing slow or going tile fishing or like more of the mahi. Um, and it's something that I've had to kind of deal with uh, personally the last few years. Like you got to change the tactics up. If you're not getting a bite, you just have to try something else. Um, so kind of just learning how to read the customers and offer them options so that they're happy at the end of the day. Right. Um, Cause that's at the end of the day, that's what we really do. Just we want everyone happy, really want them to enjoy themselves out there. So take a step back a lot of yeah. it, I guess. How did you get hooked up with Canyon runner? Like, can you just kind of take us through the, I guess, medium level detail of, you know, how you got into that program and how your career kicked off there. And then we can kind of go from there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great question because it's, I always find it interesting how everyone gets their start in this, right? Because you're dealing with 99.9% of fishermen are passion-based in the career, right? To some extent or got into it through the passion. So for me, I was passionate about fishing, but I didn't know much about it. Um, and I wanted to explore that. I was 19. And to give you the just sort of condensed version or medium version is that I saw that they were hiring. And it was right around the time of the internet just being on the internet on one of the boards. I want to say it was sportfisherman.com or something. And yep. I wrote an email out and, uh, that's, that's really how, um, I got my start just right from the bottom, like second mate position, just kind of doing the, the, the grunt work, really bucket scrubber bait, whatever. I remember the first year I was there, it was really more maintenance than anything. Hop down and do an oil change or scrub teak. We had the big boat then. So it was a lot of maintenance. And that year, the fishing was horrible, so every day was like a maintenance day. It was just bad fishing and really shitty weather, so um, it was just a lot of maintenance. And that was, that was pretty cool because I think one of the things that was really unique about Canaran at the time is you had so many people and so many really competent, really good fishermen. So it just throws your learning curve in a hyperspeed. Um, so like you have Adam who owns the boats. He's more like the, the office guy, the business guy. You had um, both Marks at the time, DeBlasio and DeCabia, and you had Phil, right? So Phil's just old-time fisherman, old-school charter boat captain. You don't get much from him, but you will learn how to fix anything in the drop of a hand, like, you know, in the drop of a bucket. So you'll always get home. So I spent the first two years, I've been there 11 years, just with him, just fixing things. So that was cool. It's like little tricks that just help you when you're jammed up. And once you know like what you're doing and how to use the tools, you can pretty much fix anything, anytime, mm-hmm. or get you home or get you close to it. And um, both the marks, they helped me with the fishing aspect of it a lot. Of course, like little tricks here and there, but um, the fishing was tremendous with both of them. You, know, you get to see two different really professionals in an industry, two different approaches, and have you know very similar results. 
So that's that's interesting um, to see that. And progressive fishermen, like, I mean, let's face it, when you can put a couple of really good guys together in one room, it's going to get competitive. So you have that competition just constantly never driving. See that better, ever. Better, yeah, we better. never do that. Never heard of that ever. <laughs> no, you guys don't know what that's like. What, what's the major, um, what's, would you consider the major difference between both the marks? Um, you know, it, it's the same but different. It's like every giant tuna fisherman or yeah. every really good fisherman, right? Like what separates good from the great? It's just details. Right. Right? So then you have the obvious things like I use crimp A versus crimp B or I use a black crimper versus a blue crimper. But at the end of the day, the theory is is still the same. It's right. still the same. And it's a little bit different too because we're going back 10, 8, 9 years ago, right? Like in the last five years, you have Facebook, you have satellite texting. The whole fishing world, if they were this far apart at one point, is now this far apart. Like right. The information is simultaneously downloaded, uploaded, um, interpreted, analyzed. Fifteen different opinions have already been constructed about it, and we're reading about it as as it's happening. People are probably watching us like, right now have this interview. Right. right. <laughs> and that's that's the truth. I mean, right. I'm sure you guys have seen it. Like, oh, so-and-so's hooked up. So-and-so yeah. caught the fish. And there's 10 different yeah, ways to are... skin the cat, and you just happen right. to, to learn by all those guys and pick little right. pieces from each guy. It's awesome, and, really. And I think that all of those guys, everybody has completely evolved in how they're pursuing fish, right? Like, they'll see one guy kind of jump out on the crowd and just do it a little bit better a little bit more efficiently and then that tactic gets absorbed um and the, the little things like different hooks or different leader selection i think at the end of the day for what we're looking for is speed presentation um small little things like you know get make sure the values are, are swimming well things like that just those little variables um that's the theory side of it right and the application side of it Right. And you just need the fish to be there. Yeah. I mean, that's what this season was so different than the last five. You actually had the raw fishing mm -hmm. there for the masses. And I've always said this, that I don't want to see the top 5% of fishermen catching. I want to see the everyday, everyday DIY, do-it-yourself fishermen catching because that's good fishing. And it also, I think. and it also to, you know, some extent, you know, talking about the positive sides of social media when they, when you do see them. You know, when the fishing's good and having that many people fishing in that that network, it's like it's only going to make you better. You know, if you know 100%. if you have a pulse on if you have a pulse on a macro area versus a micro area, right. it's only going to help you. Out. And there's a lot of negative guys on there. There's guys that that just shoot people down left and right instead of like taking a step back and maybe being quiet for a second. Because if you just read, use Facebook and Instagram and whatever as as a book, you learn so much. Just poking oh, around. It's, it's tremendous. Some of those groups, I think, are some of the best pieces of information. I learn stuff all the time. Yep. And what's really amazing is that I get more information out of Facebook about a given area than sometimes Absolutely. I do out of my own network, right. which is alarming. It's crazy. It's, scary. it's crazy. Like you see a boat in the background. Oh, I knew I saw that boat yesterday morning. I know he was three miles east of us and you know, you right. start putting pieces of the puzzle together. Next thing you know, you know where the bite was or where it could on be. On that part of the tide or, right. you know, that part of the oh, day. He hooked whatever. up just after us, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's pretty right. amazing. It's it's incredible. It, it really is incredible to see how that's changed um, in, in this world, right? And I haven't been a part of it for that long, 11 years, but it's long enough to really see the change. 
and how that's it's really gone that way, which is tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely crazy always being listened to by a big brother, that's for sure. And it gets to the and point too, you have to be careful what you post. You know, we, we were very yeah. careful this year with, with Instagram and Facebook because we're, you know, like you guys, we're trying to get charters, so you have to keep up with it. But but it's also not time, a 125-mile run. Right. It's the, 18 miles, you right. know, so it's like there's a lot of different any things. Any Joe Schmo can, can go out there at any given time of the day. So, like, you post the wrong thing next thing you know, you're surrounded by people. And I'm sure you guys deal with it on a daily basis. Oh, yeah. No, we, we do. It. You know, we have a uh, information service that where you know, for a fee, you get basically access to us 24 hours a day in the fishing. There's, um, you know, in the fishing day. And then, uh, you call my boss, you can call us. Um, we have, some of these guys have the texting device. Um, there's low Jack on the boat. I mean, I've had people just say, Oh, I just watch you every day when I'm in the office. I'm sure they learn a lot. Like, they're learning a lot from, you know, from that. And you, you do give away a lot, but at the same time you, you balance that with, you know, does that work you know, from right. the business point of view? And then on the other hand, from, you know, what, what can we get out of that on the back? Exactly. End? You, you get How information. Much, is that sure. information helpful? Exactly. I'm sure you get information all the time from people that are either just getting into it or you just barely know, and they may buy the service or whatever, or you just happen to give them a few, little pieces to the puzzle and they give it right back and that helps you for another day. Yeah. No, and you, you know, it's interesting too, because there's a lot of people claim that, Oh, we're not truthful. We're not this. And you have to be so cautious now about what you say and how you say it. You don't want to come off as a liar because right. you have so many people fact checking you so many people with the, with social media. Um, you just have to be very cautious about what's presented and when, I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received, and if he listens to, I'm not going to name names, but if he listens to this podcast, he's going to, he's going to know exactly <laughs> that I'm talking about him. But if you don't want to tell someone where to go, just straight up tell them, I'm not, I don't, I really don't want to tell you. Don't lie. Right. You know, don't try to, you know, beat around the bush. Just be honest. Yep. You know, and, until the time's right, especially, you know, fishing every single day. And then you start getting the, the crazy bombardment with communications on Thursday, Friday, going to the weekend. It's like, I don't need to tell that guy how we did on Monday until he's about to go on Saturday morning. Then I'll tell you, because right. the whole thing could change and I don't want to screw myself, you know? 100%. No, it's absolutely. It's, it's so true. It's, it's, it's a daily it's really battle. Truth. It is. It is. But you can't stop good fishing either. That's the most amazing part is that, when the fish were there, we saw it this summer that it just didn't matter how much of a crowd you put on top of them. They still bit every day. It wasn't as great or lights out every day, but they right. still bit. So it take us, crazy. take us a little bit more through, I guess this, this season. I know you talked about the tournaments and you were going through your timeline a little bit, but I guess more from like a species perspective, like how did this year compare big eyes, yellow fins, like just, all season long. Can you kind of take us through that progression? Yeah. So, um, you know, again, tuna fishing, great overall. Um, we have some slow trips, sure, but overall great. And what we've seen the last few years is just a phenomenal bluefin fishery, um, both in the 30 fathom all the way out to the canyon. So early season, like you'll start to hear the tilefish boats. They'll start telling us there's bluefins around or the monk boats will start seeing the giants busting. May or late April, 
um, both inshore and offshore, and they're going back and forth. Um, but this year, when we started May 22nd, we had blue 68-degree water, which for us is kind of like that's that's the perfect temperature and water condition to start a season. Um, it's just something about that blue water that's just primo. Um, and that temperature would be normally yellowfins, but it was all bluefins to start and a couple of yellowfins. And we actually caught a longfin right then. I'm just looking at mm. what we caught, yeah. um, which was just weird, but it was all overboard. We were eight, 900 fathoms, thousand fathoms that trip. So way far out over, which is unique. But the last few years we found out the official bite early season out there, no problem trolling around. You know, like it's just not an issue. Find a little bit of bait out there, find a break. You're good. You're mm. game on. Um, so from a progression piece, we fished pretty much the same water condition. There was a little finger of it that just shot out there. Um, it kind of just went up and down the line, um, till, man, we were fishing out there all the way to like middle of June. So almost three weeks of fishing, just wow. mostly bluefins. And we had some great big eye fishing out there. And for us, it's a shot at two a trip, you know, which was phenomenal, mostly at dark. Were you mix? Um, were you mixing it up? Were you getting big eyes and bluefin mixed, or were you specifically targeting them once you were getting those bites? No, just once you find the bluefins, you'd see bluefins up top. And at first, there were a lot of bluefins, and we had some, some like 30, 40, 50 trip days. You know, a lot of little ones, some overs. Um, and then the, the big eyes would chew just around dark, a couple hours before dark. You know, it's every day. It was pretty consistent. And you get a yellowfin or two. Some days we had eight or nine yellowfins just kind of whatever conditions kind of yielded that day. And then mm. if the crowd got on us, I would say that's the biggest hindrance now is that you fish on a weekend, you're just going to get wrecked right. a weekend with calm weather because everybody has the forecasting. Everybody understands the basic principle that if the water's out there and it's calm weather, you need to go. One, one other thing we didn't mention with COVID too, is I will say the crowds were exponentially more frustration this year. level oh, yeah. thousand percent. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially I'm sure for what you guys are doing too, where it's, it doesn't matter how good, how perfect everything is. Like sometimes the boat next to you just gets the bite. Yeah, absolutely. That just sucks. It sucks. Who's trolling? You can always just say that we were just in the wrong position. (laughs) When you're a hundred yards from somebody and they're the same depth (laughs) fishing, the same depth mackerel and they get the bite. It's frustrating. Yeah. Or if they show Uh, up at 10 o'clock in the morning and you've been there since 4am and you know, they put the first rod out and they're on. (laughs) <laughs> or your customer you or wrong. your customer can't shove off till six and you miss oh, it. Oh yeah. You, know? you miss it. And ever you know, and everyone else everyone's on by the time you get there. That's tough, man. That's that's one of the hardest. On both ends of the spectrum. You try and give them the coup de gras and it blows up in your face and then right. you totally miss the bite and you're just like, Wow, we're just out for lunch. Yeah. Yeah. And you gotta <laughs> you gotta have to you know, you have to entertain them and almost make them feel like it's gonna happen when deep down you are pretty sure it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. It's hard. That, that's, that's the worst. That's it is the worst. Showing up for the funeral is terrible. That <laughs> just sucks. Yeah. Sorry, but, I interrupted you there. So yeah. you're through June, through June no, fishing, no. fishing well, offshore, bluefin, big eyes, starting to get some more yellowfin. I think that's where you left off. Yeah. And then we just saw the water start to push in on the 100 down below like Ocean City, poor man's area. So we're making long runs again, 140 mile runs. And 125 mile runs, and we did that for a month. And it was a really interesting thing. We've seen this the last couple of years, where the water just pressed in in the hundred, and the fish just jump out of it for whatever reason. We've seen so much 
so many squid now um, on a hundred fathom and inshore day after day. Um, and the fish just moved in and they were pretty much on the hundred fathom line all summer. It's pretty incredible. I mean, guys are chunking fish in ocean city in some of the inshore spots till first week of September. That's unheard of. That's, That's very unusual. Usually it's like the first week of August that dies out. So huh. they had a great bite down there and we just saw consistent 30 fathom action all the way up the road, so to speak. Um, all our typical spots, the 30 fathom tuna lump, um, the coal wreck, triple wrecks area, uh, another place inshore, the triple wrecks called the Corvallis. So we were catching yellowfins like 40 miles inshore. We have 40 miles offshore, I should say this year, mm-hmm. like big ones, um, you know, in good trips, like 50, 50 bluefins, 10 yellowfins, like and over, like really, really epic trips. Um, that's insane that's action in two fishing. days. Yeah. Or no, it's incredible. That was her day. Like, that was her day. Incredible yeah. Fish. yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, you hear like a giant mixed in here and there, especially offshore. Um, and again, the big eyes were just tremendous, especially as we fished down by ocean city, you know, we had good big eye fishing, seven, fours, fives, like really, really solid stuff. Um, and then, like I said, we went to those tournaments. So we kind of just slacked off on the fishing a little bit. Um, you know, you fish one trip and, uh, for a whole week cause you have the tournament and you get weathered out. Um, and then we had just great fishing on the 30 fathom line. And then we just kept going back and forth the 30 line and then the Hudson. And that was really the season. Um, towards the tail end, we started getting to the swordfish a little bit. Um, and we had the yellowfins during the day at the 30 fathom spot and then some yellowfin longfin action at night too. So that was cool. How do you do day timing for swordfish? Um, you know, we have, intermediate success um, <laughs> that's what i hear from everybody that's like us fishing and, deep in the bay <laughs> yeah. the, the reality of it is, is it just flat out sucks for charters you right, need the yeah. right crew to want to do it um it's commercial fishing at the end of the day it's mechanized um i found that when you use hand crank gear the charter's in it for one crank and after that it's over so now you're on a mechanized gear which then turns into Dean and whoever the mate is finishing it up and the charter (laughs) 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 it doesn't really work out too well unless they just want to hang out and like drink beer. (laughs) So (laughs) then that's not really what the experience is. So um, we try and limit it to like, we have really good um, tuna fishing in the morning or something. We had a couple trips where we got into a long fin, like half dozen, dozen, 20 long fin. Then we went um, day timing for like the back half of the day or something. Um, and we had, I would say we averaged two to three bites a trip, caught an average of one to two fish a trip. So we had good success, but not every fish was a quality keeper. Right. Um, we didn't always get it to the boat type of thing. Um, but it was great to learn how to do that a little bit more and be able to consistently fish and learn the fishery a little bit better. Another tool in the toolbox. That's nice. Yeah. And totally something that I would do with a couple of buddies and hang out, but it's definitely not a charter friendly, uh, fishery. Unless, much unless prefer- they specifically want to target it and want to do yeah. it. And even when you catch <laughs> one, they're kind of like, that's really cool. But Can we go do something else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's cool. Um, so 
that was that's something we kind of just kept on the back burner the tile fishing that's a big hit um when conditions are conducive to that you know, get the everybody gets a rod you know you get two or three guys down there and they can go have at it so that that's always a win but um you know it was great overall the fishing really like spectacular season spectacular. makes your job a little easier sometimes oh yeah yeah absolutely definitely more enjoyable for everybody and I think the coolest thing about the COVID thing, if you could call it cool, is that other boats were busy too. So right. this is probably the first time in a, a while I've seen three or four charter boats out there consistently, you know, every day. It's good to see. Which for us, that's that's good. That's solid. Um, you know, some days we had as many as eight charter boats out there. Wow. Um, yeah, because a lot of the the older school guys have kind of just sold their boats and they're running private boat now, private boats now. So we're not seeing as many charter boats out there. There's only a handful of us that are doing it. Hmm. Everyone's, so that's cool. Everyone's looking for something to do, you know, it's a small group and it's outside and makes sense and it's fun, you yeah. know, unlike many things nowadays. Right. But, but um, you could do it. You could do it. And you would definitely see that people got on the boat. They got much more relaxed. The phone was off. We had the satellite TV, so the news wasn't on every five seconds. Um, these guys were able to relax, and some of them brought their kids, and the kids were cool. You know, they were they were just hanging out, and they were telling us that this is one of the few things they can do with and and feel free, right, for the first time. And God, that was like that's crazy. So we'd be six to eight months in, you know, at that point. We had kids doing Zoom calls from the bay when we were fishing down in the bay, doing their homework doing while classes. fighting eight hundred pounders, <laughs> taking classes. <laughs> that's awesome. Dude. Yeah, that's fantastic. Oh, it's so that good. is so cool. Yeah. Um. So just again, step back. So season COVID. What about like daily process? So mixed bag canyon trip overnighter. You know, you have your you're a captain yourself, obviously, co-captain, like you mentioned. How are you approaching, you know, before the trip? How many ballyhoos you rig in? Like, what's your I think every, everyone's always curious, like what your what everyone's kind of um, workflow is or what their right. process is. So, like, how are you approaching trip prep like personally? Yeah. So the way we start every year, every trip is the same way. Nothing really changes. Like we might have the newest spreader bar, the newest color, you know, Joe shoot or whatever new fancy thing we have to have for the moment, right? <laughs> Better yep. swimming value from this purveyor or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, um, to catch really, the fishermen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it all starts with just it starts in March, really just getting everything a hundred percent to what we need. So every rod and reel, um, every hook, every crimp, every spreader bar, all our leader, it's all on the boat loaded up and we just get a big plano box and have all our trip prep done. Um, and then I think, believe it or not, our schedule actually gets easier once you can get the first two trips done. Um, because you remember what you need, what we forgot because inevitably you cannot have every piece of equipment on the boat. And you remember and, exactly where you've put it the day before right, too. Right. Um, and I've always considered a Canyon runner trip to be two programs in one. So you have the nighttime, the, excuse me, the daytime program and the nighttime program. Right. So we're really running two trips in one. And what does that mean? So early season, we're going to be doing 
mostly trolling until it's all chunking. So we're just basically making sure we have all the trolling gear on the boat ready to go. Ballyhoo's ready to go if we're fishing them. Um, we're not doing a lot of ballyhoo fishing anymore. We're using a lot of artificial tails because it's easier and it's one less thing to do. And you save an immense amount of time by not having to rig a zillion values every trip. It's really amazing. And for our schedule where you're just running these marathon trips, I mean, no trip on that boat is anything less than 26 hours. We're probably 26 to 35 hours. It's any extra time you have, you want to just be as efficient as possible. Hooks really. in the water. Yeah. Right. So either hooks in the water or, you know, cleaning something up, going in, figuring out what we're going to do. If we can order breakfast, order dinner, clean up, fuel, ice, bait, get ready to roll. Um, so daily process is really the same thing. It's going to be trolling to start unless it's not. And then at night it's going to be shark fishing and a couple tuna baits out. And then later on in the season, um, once we start to hear of chunking reports, then we'll start chunking. And the reason I hold off on that is that it just gets to a point where you can't do everything. Right. So one of the things we do at Canyon Runners, we offer a minimum 24 to 30 hour trip and we tailor it to the bite. So early on in the season, it's mostly during the day. So we'll run day trips. First light to last light. So we leave midnight, come back midnight to two in the morning. Later on in the season, you need to be there for the evening. So you have to cut the, the daylight of the trip out. So you start leaving 6 a.m., 8 a.m., 2 p.m. So you can get there so you have enough time during the day to find the bait, find the right spot, set up, find the water, fish at night. Um, so what towards the back half of the season and really at the end of the season, it's all our tuna fishing being done during the, the night, unless you have something like the 30 fathom situation where it's a daytime bite. So the process really is just looking at conditions, seeing what we can best offer the charter. And not every day is perfect tuna fishing inshore or offshore. So if that means we're going to start with some trolling, okay, that's not working. Let's try tile fishing. Um, or let's try a combo with the mahis. And then we'll try tuna fishing at night or something like that, or sword fishing. Um, so the process really is put everything on the boat, just give it hell. Yeah. What time of day um, do you make those calls? So, you know, lines in at sunrise, say you get only a few tunas. What time of day you know, are you trying to make that call, I guess, to like change it, it depends. up? It, it depends. We have so much information now with the satellite texting. You get such a good feel for what's really taking place. Mm -hmm. um, I don't really like to move unless we have to. And examples of that are going to be we where we went back to the same place where we let's just say we started to where we were started where we were yesterday, right? In short, there were two dozen whales. There isn't a single whale. No bait. No birds. We're not going to stay there for six to 10 hours just because we might give it an hour or two. If we're not seeing anything, then we're going to keep it moving, either going north or south, working with a buddy boat, or we'll just go to the canyon. Um, so, and then on the other end of things, if we pull into the canyon, you know, typically there'll be some sort of pronounced bite first light in the morning and last light in the evening. 
So we'll try and if we're there at noon, we haven't had a bite. We're not going to leave that area if the water's there, if the conditions are there. Um, so just making educated guesses, you have a long time. So that's the advantage of a trip like that. You can move around. I mean, there are times when we've literally picked up and ran 60 miles because it's just not where we need to be. We're out of position for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been that way, whether that's going from Canyon A to Canyon B or we set out, started fishing 50 miles. There's no action. And now we're going to run to the Canyon. Um, I had a few trips this year where I went to try um, a, a different canyon. We hadn't been fishing this area up above the Hudson. Totally were stroking it. Picked up and ran west in the middle of the night, 60 miles. And that first light salvaged the trip with blue fins and yellow fins because I had a buddy catching. Right. So just things like that, knowing when to move, right? You're not going to move. You could have that random shot of fish like right, at, right at dark. So you don't move at 8 o'clock at night. You fish till 10. And then you run inshore, right? Because at night, you're mostly going to be shark fishing. Right. So you'd rather burn your shark fishing time up than your tuna fishing time. Yep, makes sense. So things like that. You just make educated guesses. And sometimes you just got to cross your fingers and hope it works. You know? <laughs> yeah. like, I mean, that's what they say about fishermen, right? Hopeful guys. Yeah. My dad, our, well, our dad calls it, uh, I got to talk to the ancestors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he'll, you know? he'll go up top and we'll come down for like an hour until you figure <laughs> yeah. it out. Uh, just some alone time and, you know, take a risk really, you know, and that's, and that's just it. You try and make the, the best decision and people get it. Sometimes the trips totally suck. I had a, a trip this summer where I totally screwed up. We were fishing a, a huge fleet guys were starting to catch, but we didn't catch anything. And I just went up the road figuring the fish just were naturally moving. We didn't catch anything for like six hours. It totally <laughs> sucked. Like, I mean, it was just, it was a joke. But I totally screwed up. I just went the wrong way. Um, yeah, but sometimes you go the right way and you get four bites and, you know, everyone else is stroking it, right? You know? Right. And that's you get ahead exactly of them and you stay risk. on them. It's exactly it. So you try and make the best decision with the information you have at hand. Um, but the other, it's the downside is the crowds kill you and the information exchange now. Why it helps you in one of the situations I illustrated, it also hurts you in another illustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, another situation illustrated. Um, so you just try and make the best decision you can really at the end of the day. Yeah. What's, uh, you probably have a million answers. I know I do, but what's like one of your big, like as a mate or work in the pit or whatever, just running the spread, like what's, what's a time saver? Like, do you have any way you like organize stuff for the day where you can just, you know, quickly recrimp leaders on the fly or, you know, little tricks with tackle, like anything to save time. I feel like I'm always interested. Rapid in deployment. Rapid deployment. The canyons ho- are all about time, like, like any speed tricks. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's a couple of things. Like, let's just start off as, like, in the mate, being a mate. Um, Mike actually taught me this when we were working deck together for, this is like 10 years ago. He said one piece of advice. You don't even have to be doing the right thing. Just look like you're doing something and always be efficient. You should never be standing there with your hands in your pockets. And right. That's true with any service job or any job on the planet, right? You just, you you look silly if you just have your hands in your pockets, like twiddling your thumbs. Um, So I think in terms of rapid deployment, working with your team, right? So 
if the captain's going to be the predominant leader, which it is in this industry, you need to be communicating with your mates to make sure they have a tackle system that they understand and they can get out quickly. And if they can't, you need to make it so that you can get it out. So on, on our boat, I do all the crimping just because it's very simple. But we have a couple of things in place to make sure that we can get rods out immediately. So the advantage with canyon fishing is because you're fishing so many rods, there's always another rod to get back in the water. Yeah. You don't need that rod that needs to be crimped. Um, I have a little crimp kit up on the bridge with me and a just a blue handle crimper and a cutter that's just there. Um, so I can crimp up those rods. I fish rods up top on the bridge to help take some of the pressure off the mate or mates that I'm fishing with. Um, sometimes when I have new mates, I just don't fish as many rods. So they're just, it's just not so complex. You'll still catch enough. Um, and this way you're not sitting there in a tangled mess that doesn't do anything for anybody. Um, and then I think that's a a big tip right there. Just the fact that you have rods up top. There's there's a ton of guys that bridge boat rods up top. What do you what do you well, what do you qualifying as uh, like a minimalist spread and like as many rods as you can run spread like what's how many rods are you running on a busy spread? So every day is different. I, I've found like tw- ten to twelve rods to really be the sweet spot if you're going yellowfin fishing. You start to get into big eyes and you get like eight two hundred pounders on. You can't stop fate. Something's going to cross and burn off. Right. It seems like with the little yellow fins, smaller 50 to 80 pound yellow fins, you can get away with a lot more. Um, but a couple of things go in there. When you select your spread, you also need to know who you're fishing with. Right. Are you, do you have two to three or four competent guys that aren't just going to look up at you and say, what do we do? Or they know <laughs> when that look. Goes off. We call that a spinner. <laughs> right. So they, they look up on you and they do a couple spins with their hands up and they don't actually know what to grab, what the, they're just, confused and frightened at the same time right or you yeah. get a guy that goes fish on like okay no shit man. Click is going off. we know that it's going out <laughs> um so just picking um picking a spread that is going to work out well for your crew for the boat um you know we fish that boat every single day you have two guys on a boat that are fishing every day everybody knows where each rod goes I mean, I sometimes tape on the ferrules with different color electrical tape what every rod is, so no one can screw it up. Mm-hmm. Green up top, red on the flat lines, purple on the mid-riggers, whatever. Um, and then so minimal spreads. It's a tough question to answer because every day is different and conditions are different. So blue finning, let's just say for like a giant pattern or larger blue fins, we might run four values. If we start to see schoolies, we might run two ballyhoos, two mid-rigger spreader bars, and then two like uh, tuna clones or bullet jets on the flat lines. So that would be a six-rod pattern. Um, if I had to average it out, I'd say three tip riggers, four spreader bars, two flat lines as just like an all-around general spread that you could pretty much catch anything pelagic on. Yeah. Right. For our waters, right? Like you could go blue finning up by you guys with something similar to that. And you could also fish hydro with that and yeah. vice versa. Yep. Um, 
And there's little things like you could put braid marauders out or the bombers um, if you wanted to get really get intense, you know, and take it to the next level, like do a 102 spread or something. Um, but I would say ultra minimalist, something like that, um, kind of cover all the bases. But you don't even need that many rods either out there. Yeah. I mean, you can catch a lot of fish with a basic five rod pattern and you're not breaking the bank, so to speak, or a, a center console, a 19 foot center console could crush it, you know, just as good as an inboard boat. And you can run teasers too, to just to bring stuff up. Right. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Um, I don't know if you guys see it, but you guys, have you guys been experimenting with the Y tracker bars at oh, all? Yeah, dude. First, first fish of the year for us. Nice fish too. Like an 85 incher on a wide tracker yep. first time we've run them slow up here honestly like the first time we put it in the water we, we got a few fish on mm-hmm. uh on those bars with 13 inch squid too the bigger like giant squid they mm-hmm. don't they don't run Super. quite as far out but you know it's still another 30 40 feet yeah outside no, which is crazy. huge and when they're on the half beaks up here out east of the bank it's like the perfect simulation of that rain bait too you know, like if you're yeah. if you're trolling in the vicinity of those, you know, raining raining half beaks with those wide trackers, mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty good imitation. Mm-hmm. You know, they're tremendous, man. They're, they're tremendous. It's it's very interesting to see how many times you get bit in the turn with those things. Huh. It's very interesting, and not even tight turns, just like wide turns. Because if you make the really tight turns, it sinks one of them. Right. But you get bit on the outside turn a lot. Like where you really wouldn't get bit like that typically if you're fishing ballyhoos, you'd get bit on the inside, inside the deeper bait. The bites but on them are, are savage too. You know, oh, yeah. oh, it's clear, clear water. Clear water <laughs> it's yeah. So sick, sick, sick. I mean, we've seen a, the wide tracker bars. Honestly, I think that the inboard boats and uh, let's just say the the captains that are in the know, I think we have all become significantly diminished in our skill set because of the live tracker bar. Right. Um, Cause anybody I think can it's, do it. It's really leveled the playing field right. for these guys tremendously. Um, you don't need outriggers anymore. Um, the smaller boat where you had the bigger boat had the better advantage. The smaller boat can get just as close to the whales. And if you know what you're looking at and get as close to the fish, you can get those bites now. Right. It's, it's really interesting. Um, I recall this was really the first year I really fished wide trackers hard. And I recall so many people just getting crushed with the wide trackers. And my buddy brought them on the boat. He was like, check these out. He put them out. And I was mind blown. My tangles went down like 10 to 1. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. It was in the middle of July. Like, and it just opens up your blown. mind too. Cause you have all this extra space. Right. You know, you no, can fish crazy. things where you couldn't have fished them before and you can fish stuff when it's a little choppier sometimes because you got lanes now. It's mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's it's really um it's incredible. They really work really, really well. So is that your hundred dollar spread, just one wide dragger? <laughs> <laughs> I would say hundred dollar spread. Oh, yeah, let's break All right, all right. We're gonna, we gotta we gotta yeah, we gotta reset and read the rules here so everyone <laughs> Everyone's people have heard this now. What from who? Damon, Galvin, and now uh, and, now and now Dean. Dean. So you have I'm sure several others. Yeah, this winter. So you have a hundred bucks, five rod spread, ballyhoos, terminal gear, hooks. rods, reels, Probably hooks, like- line, just the actual lure and or whatever. You have a hundred bucks, five rod spread. 
You don't need to um, rush it. You can think about it. <laughs> no, it's it's simple. Hundred hour spread. It's just five sea witches. Let wow. it rip right out of the play out of Oregon. Let it rip. Really. He says. <laughs> what colors? Does it matter? Or you got colors? Flip it. Uh, dark and light. Dark and light. I mean, okay. that's all we do. Yeah. Just fish every other dark light. Sea witches, ballyhoos, or sea witches artificials? Sea witch both. You know, I don't want to break the bank too much, but are you true? Um, are you, you truly know, seeing like fifty fifty on the artificial versus ballyhoo? Like you, out of anyone that's been trying it, you guys probably have the best volume to compare. Honestly, I would say that you need the fish to be there to get the bite, but it it really doesn't matter. Yeah, it. it uh, you could sure say fifty fifty. I think you have a couple of things when when you get those types of ratios right you need the fish to be there in order to make the ratio come true right mm-hmm. you figure that data out but you also need to know who are you surveying is it eight ballyhoos and one artificial what does that mean mm-hmm. right and vice versa is it two ballyhoos and uh you know the rest of them in position and, you know you run right. it in the flat line kind of like yeah right. i kind of trust it or you yeah. really trust it you know right I, I, that's that's just it i I think that when they're rigged properly, the artificials do well. But it's like anything. If you don't have confidence in it, you're not going to produce. Yeah. You've got to right. you got to have the confidence with it. It's also too the the size of the big eyes too. Like we yeah, you get into the smaller ones when we're talking the artificials that they're going to be more aggressive on the flat lines. You just have to get over the mark. The bigger fish, they're not going to be as aggressive. Um I remember my last season fishing Oregon Inlet. I caught more fish on artificials than I did um, in Ballyhoo, fishing giants. And I was blown away, flabbergasted. Hmm. And the way we figured that out was really funny. The tuna buyer kept saying, you know, dude, like this guy, he's smoking everybody. He's here every day, 9 a.m., dropping a fish off. And a guy, he was a good fisherman, not great, but, you know, could hold his own out there. And he kept saying every day, yeah, it's a pink Pink, uh, pink artificial, pink roundsy. So I put it out, dude. We were hooked up in ten minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, awesome. is that fate? Sure, but we went on like on a tear. The next ten days, we had to fish every morning. So, is it just blind luck? Is it just who knows? I mean, we had to have good fishing to make that huh. come true. But I would, I would say it doesn't matter as much as people. Make it out. You, you got to be also fish quality value too. Right. That's that's that secret. I think. I think too with the with the artificial. You know, if it lays on its side or if it even if it's upside down, it almost looks the exact same no matter which way it's going through the water. A bally exactly. who's a little different. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yes, I hundred percent agree. With so that. like, if you, even if you rig it the best you possibly could, if that thing decides to tuck and roll or do whatever when the fish comes up and looks at it. It looks the same. That's why I think like solid, we like solid color hook baits or, or, you know, hook baits that no matter which way they rotate, they're very similar in color, especially for the bigger bluefin. Maybe not going as fast, you know, going faster for the canyons, it might not make that much of a difference. But when you're going four knots and this thing looks at it five times, you know, if it flips on its side and appears as a different color or a different shade or whatever, you know, they might not eat it, but. Or we're just thinking yeah. too much. No, I, I don't think yeah. you guys are overthinking it. I think that it's, you know, I think that's natural. But I think also when you look at fish or look at a 
some of the Nat Geographic or what is it, Blue Planet, right? Yeah. That, that show. Fish don't swim in just a perfectly tracked line. They don't have 200-pound right. fluorocarbon getting ripped in, through their face the whole time. Like, <laughs> you know, they move. You know, they go from side to side. Like, you figure a boat's just, like, pitching back and forth the whole time, even on the calmest of days. It's going up and down, and when you turn, it goes, the baits will sag or get ripped tighter. Like, I don't know. I think we catch more fish in a straight line because we're making straight lines most of the time right. anyways. Yeah. Um, Maybe not. I mean, for a lot of us, it's a lot of our fishing is just autopilot on, just seek and destroy type combing the the hundred fathom, you know, for great, us. Great boat name, by the way. Seek and destroy. I like that name. Yeah. We're thinking of a boat <laughs> name right now. We just we just got a, a new boat, so we're in the there boat name go. process. There you go. <clears throat> what's um uh, what's I mean, we've talked about a lot. We've been going at it for an hour. We still got a little bit of a little bit of fuel left in the tank, I think. Yes. What's your mm-hmm. What's your passion now? I mean, <clears throat> you know, fisherman canyon runner for a while. You've seen a lot, you know, in your time there. Before, you know, after, during, whatever. What What gets you going now? Like, what trip are you excited when a customer is like, "This is what we want to do." You are fired up, like on your best best game possible. You know, it's funny. I truly enjoy tuna fishing of all different varieties. Um, I enjoy the trolling. I really do. Yellow fins, long fins, big eyes, it doesn't matter. The blue fins, that's great too. But what I really enjoy at the end of the day is a happy customer. The trip doesn't really matter to me. I've done so many of these things. Um, As long as a customer's happy with the trip we provide, that's really all I care about. At the end of the day, um, we're not, we're not commercial fishing. Right. I mean, I could tell you, sure. Yeah. I'd love to catch, you know, 40 elephants, 15 big eyes, a giant on the yeah. green stick. That would be awesome. That's a great trip. For <laughs> That's Dean. a great day <laughs> yeah, for Dean. <laughs> for, for what we're doing, just want to see a happy group and that they want to come back or that you yeah, have the intangible factor, such as they brought a kid and the kid discovered a passion for something he never knew about. Or when guys say, I've never, ever seen this. I'll never do this again. Um, one of the things we do, we do a lot with veterans. And so we take some of these veterans out. And these guys are all different walks of life. Um, we have some guys that are literally just returning from combat. Some guys in between. And some guys that were part of the Vietnam era, right? Um, some guys even from Korea. We try not to take the older guys because they just it's just hard on the boat for a long time with them. Um, but they see something and they are so appreciative, not only for the experience, but that they were remembered in some capacity. So we do an annual trip around 4th of July and we try and do two trips. Um, so we take 12 guys. So that's really, really that's cool. cool. Um, we did a trip with first <laughs> responders this year and healthcare workers, just as kind of like a COVID tie-in. Um, and again, these were, we had a couple of like nurses on the boat, like male nurses and a couple of, um, first responders, like ambulance people, guys, like they had never experienced something like that. So that's really cool. Um, I'd say that intangible factors always, that, that ices the cake. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's a really good answer. Um, it's just different, man. You know, it just, when you get to see somebody and introduce them to something they've never seen, it's. That's really That awesome. seems to be the common factor, honestly, successful charter companies. You know, it's it's way more about the customer and way more about 
seeing having other people experience something that you've experienced or or, or something well, that you haven't experienced and they just happen to experience that's how that's right. how I was know, thinking that's, you both get you both part. get to experience a first together i mean that's yeah. really that's really the ultimate you know when right. the, when you don't get that very often and you get a bond that lasts a long time that's usually i think when you get those really really close returning clients is when you both get to share that together out there and, yep. it, and it does happen i mean you know? we, we got a we got a borderline thousand pounder last year that we had to release and the girl the girl was crying because she was so happy like yeah. straight up tears sitting down hands on the face crying don't know what her past life was but that day was like she said it was one of the best days of her life she saw hump she's never seen whales yeah humpback right. whales were like her favorite animals she saw bubble feeding humpbacks and dolphins and like you know, it's not always about the fish, but she just happened to catch an insane fish. She cried at that. Hour later, she cries at the whales. <laughs> then right. she cries, wow. like, getting off the boat. You know, it's like, that's life-changing. Or either that or dad was just or really dad scary was that really day. really scary that day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That, a lot of emotional release there. Yeah. But that's... <laughs> He's that's, made quite a few cool. customers cry, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Out of a, out of joy and sadness. What's something really right. fun? What's something really uh, you know funny or you know epic story that happened this year that that sticks out? Epic you have anything? Story. You know, a fish or you know a clogged head, that, a clogged head. <laughs> or, oh yeah, someone no, getting we, hurt. We have, we Who have knows? a couple of we have a couple of clogged heads. Um, you know, I try and be nice to the customers, but I mean. We do a safety speech every morning, right? Absolutely. And yeah. we laugh about it because we're taking these guys at midnight. They haven't slept. They're probably drank, <laughs> probably drunk. They're uncomfortable. They're out of their element. They're really not sure where to be. They're trying to figure out that comfort zone of the boat. Like, what is this going to be? We're super excited. You have one guy who's like in planet, you know, Pluto, and then another oh, yeah. guy that's done this enough generally. He's like, shut up, come on. Um, so <laughs> the pro. We're gonna call that the Bassmaster. <laughs> right. The yeah. Bassmaster. We'll call it the pro. And uh we we gave the guys the safety speech and we go over the head and how to utilize the head and outline it very stern and simply about proper procedure. <laughs> We're not five minutes into this trip, we got a clog shitter. Like, uh <laughs> so like on that boat we have two. So like that one shut down, but these guys don't <laughs> tell us it shut down. Oh my they god! They just continued to use it until it just filled up. No vile amounts of fucking piss. And way. It's just like this is foul. So <laughs> we figure out a way to like empty it. We contain it. <laughs> it's like a huge shit in there. <laughs> Part of what we say is no metal in the toilet, and I say that's you find that rhetorically funny, but I'm serious. Like no screws. <laughs> oh, God. oh no no and and it's like the gum wrappers right the dentine <laughs> gum wrappers yeah we take this we take the shitter apart and we find this like quarter piece um could have been dime size shard of metal that just clogged up the brass macerator like so perfectly <laughs> so i was just so done and i said to the guys i'm like all right well who clogged this up like how did you screw this up that badly? Like, we're five <laughs> minutes into this trip and the guy's like, I did nothing. 
I did nothing. And oh my God. He had this little well, accent too. He was from a different country. It was pretty funny. <laughs> Apparently you swallowed a dime last night because that's what that's what clogged my macerator. <laughs> on top of it too, the guy does not put the fan on. So oh my god. <laughs> Someone's just blasting ass in there. It's just horrible. Dude, that is unbelievable. I we I had another What's that? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, we had another. We had another good one where we take these guys out fishing for the day, and ironically, that my buddy on the boat who was helping us out this day, he knew the guy. He was neighbors with him, and he was like, "Oh, dude, I'm worried about this guy." I'm like, well, let's just see. Let's just get the trip in. Come on, like, just we've gone. We've come way too far to be worried about this. We're on the way out, and his charter brings egg rolls, and they're like, "Oh, you want an egg roll?" And I have this like firm policy that eating charter food never happens. Disastrous. <laughs> right. so only from recommended sources do I ever eat the charter food. Like we have a couple of good clientele that their wives make, like you know, penne al vodka or like you know, like a big ziti or something. Where I'm like, okay, it's been refrigerated. We're good. <laughs> I don't eat like the fried chicken or something. You know, this poor woman's puking instantly. We're five <laughs> minutes out, and I'm. Like, oh my God, we're going to have to turn around. This is terrible. So I'm like coaching. I'm like, all right, just, you know, breathe some fresh air and you'll be okay. Whatever. This whole charter is sick throwing up <laughs> and the guy's throwing up. But <laughs> the thing about the story is that he's throwing up all down his one side of his whole body. Right? He doesn't change his shirt all trip. What? <laughs> He, he proceeds to fish all day with you. Oh my god, oh my dude! God, dude! <laughs> Only at the end of the day does he take his shirt off, throw it in the ocean, and say, "All right, I'm ready." Oh, <laughs> I've never seen anything. I was so, so worried. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that's messed up." Oh, he just smells like big. Smells like Bigfoot's dick the whole trip. <laughs> oh god, it was horrible. The combination of egg, like, oh. God, egg roll, puke. Oh. I feel like there was <laughs> a lot anything. of seasick people this year. Yeah, we had quite a few as well. Man. How do you, how you, do you deal with weather? that? Yeah, we had pretty good weather. weather. You know, September yeah. September had a few weeks of off and on, and October sucked. Beginning of October was brutal. It was know. brutal. But everything else was pretty was pretty good. Thankfully, it's only, yeah. uh, you know, 18 to 30 mile run, so it's bearable. Yeah. For the most part, you know, there's always one on those kind of nautical days, but for the most part, it's manageable with the short. We, we push it a little bit in the fall, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, you try to, yeah. But you know, it comes down um, to like we end up canceling trips and just going commercial fishing. So an advantage of your fishers, you guys have that opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Um, you asked about the seasickness. So the seasickness, we just. A lot of our charters know what they booked. They understand it's a long trip. Um, I would say between 15 to 20 is where we really start to make that decision as to if we're going to cancel. Um, we don't really fish in anything heavier than 20. Um, the exception will be like a tournament. If we have to go out on a northwest or something or come in on an east. Um, but we won't intentionally take a head sea ride out in 25. Um, we'll have some edgy trips where you might just have to push it back a few hours and we just give them a little bit of extra time. Um, and then in terms of seasickness, you just have to kind of take it in stride. I had one trip. This is the first time ever this year. We 
had a tough ride out. He was only blowing 15 knots, but pretty much right on the nose. And the charter, actually, we fished for three hours, and they wanted to go in. Everybody was sick. Wow. I've never seen anything like it. Hmm. Um, happens. It just like, happens to us several us. times. And it, it totally sucks, totally ruined it. And the guy who was paying for the trip, you, you know, you just tell you, like, what's the advantage of charter fishing? You probably learn how to read people instantly. Right. You know what they're going to do before they even know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell this guy was going to be problematic. Um, and not even in a negative way. He started out the trip like, I have to be back on land at 7 a.m. Oh, Guys, tough. it's 9 o'clock. Okay, we'll give it our all. No problem. I said, is this like a million-dollar phone call? He goes, oh, yeah. So okay. Cool. No problem. He couldn't reschedule. He worked for like a private equity label. He's buying up some company. And um, the guy was sick. And as soon as he started feeling sick, he was like, sit. I want to go. And the whole the whole group was like, let's go. Some guys drove up six, seven hours for the trip. It's crazy. That's nuts. I've yeah. never seen anything like it. Puts Three you, hours to put, turn around. Yeah. Puts you in a tough situation for sure. They were really cool with us, though. They they said, guys, we get it. This just isn't for us. They gave us a full tip, and that was it. You're lucky. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, it re- I, I really wasn't sure how to handle that one. Right. You it almost kind of have to see how they handle it, and at the end of the day, it's not worth Even if you can get your right. expenses back, maybe. But. Right. You know, it's not worth having a pissed off person that all they have to do is post something on the internet and it, you know, creates not a shit all. show. Not at all. The right. way people are today, it's just that, you know, that's a downside to social media. Just you, as fast as you can build your reputation, you can sink it. Right. Mm-hmm. Just by handling one client, probably in not a, a good way, right? Or wrong. Right. There's always so, going to be a few. I mean, mm-hmm. no one's perfect. We have a few that we've had to deal with over the years and, yeah, we had oh, one, we had one charter that went crazy all over the internet because we only fished three rods giant fishing, and they had six right. people on the boat, and it was like this huge deal. We knew we didn't know what we were doing, and we didn't get a bite that day, which sucked even worse. And all because they think everyone they, should have a fishing pole. Everyone should have a fishing pole, you know. And then yeah, then they had people cool. agreeing with them over the internet, like that don't fish, and it just turns into like. <laughs> it's funny it's funny <laughs> you know it's funny to think about as a fisherman i think i actually think the the starter to the whole review is the boat didn't even have a tuna tower it's like right so that's what it was so neither do 96 percent of the boats out there in right. the bay you know but i mean you get a you get a few like that that you just kind of have to you know roll in stride with but what um what do you guys got going for the winter i mean Speaking personally, I know our winter is a lot different, not being able to have seminars, workshops, you know, that sort of thing. We've kind of dabbled with the online idea. To be honest, we're kind of zoomed out at this point. But are you guys doing anything in the off season to try to make up for that? Are you still planning on doing it or or what's going on there? Yeah, so legally, um, when we were booking that that seminar – we could do 25% capacity. So at the end of the day, it just really doesn't work for a variety of reasons, 25% mm-hmm. um, capacity. Um, 
So we had that issue to contend with. So that was pretty much off the table as it stood that day. Um, so we're kind of looking into a, an online solution. And the reason I say like an online solution is I don't know if there really is a perfect one. No. That no. seminar, it's about enjoying the experience of the fishing, seeing everybody in the flesh. Like the advantage of charter fishing or the advantage of those seminars is that you're getting guys who are business guys outside of a sales meeting. They want to be there. They're in their passion. They're in the passionate zone. So they're off edge, right? They're not on edge. So I think we're missing that. Everybody that's on a Zoom conference has to be there for some reason, a business meeting or you know whatever, um, something career-oriented. Um, with the fishing seminar, we don't, we're not seeing that. So how do we make up for that? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. We're trying to come up with something online, maybe do something kind of like this, a big Q&A and just something se- seminar formatted. But the advantage to that is you get an opportunity to get a bunch of different fishermen that maybe couldn't make it in that. It could. Let's just say the one cool. Saturday. So yeah. you can get you guys, you can get a guy in Florida, you can right. get, uh, you know, another guy in Long Island. Boom. Just invite everyone to a big Zoom meeting. And your key, um, your keynote speaker list grows exponentially too. Right. So there's the advantage and the disadvantage. I think it's going to be just, I think it's going to be just like Big Rock was last year for all the tournaments. The first person to do it, I think they're going to be fine doing it. I think you're not going to have as many people because you're just, some expectations aren't going to be met. Um, but we still don't know how that's going to work just yet. We're still kind of figuring it all out. Right. Um, but we definitely want to do something. And then, I mean, it's great that there's like vaccine news now and stuff. So that, that was, that's optimistic, but I don't know if I'd want to be a part of being in a room with 300 people right now. And I don't know if other people would want to do the same thing. I agree. And I yeah, think, I think, I think you'd have trouble. Yeah. I, I, I really, I'm not sure how I even feel about it. I just haven't even thought about it. It's been I'm a- not necessarily against it, but I don't know if I'm all for it either. I agree. And it's, it, it brings, it's just a constant back and forth. You know, the seminars are nice because you have a very, like you said, everyone's kind of not on edge. It's a very focused, it's a large group, but it's a focused group. And you feel a little bit more comfortable sharing expertise, information, experiences with people that are very much focused that way. And then you start to go back to social media and be like, oh, maybe I can make up for it. And your audience is bigger. And, and then you, you, you kind of start to get back on the negative side of things. It's almost like your 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 network's growing too much. That's kind of what we're what we're dealing with. It's like how much how much do you actually share? How much right. do you actually you know hold close? And I think those in person seminars allow that perfect balance. I don't know that that online online, online thing is actually truly going to work for us or for the the recipient of the information. You know, yeah, I I think you have to have um, you know somewhat of a script, a little more scripted regiment routine with it when you get when you go online at first, um, because I found the few online meetings I've done, people are they're not withdrawn, but they're not as inclined to share. Right, like I've had some in tremendous conversations and questions asked in my seminars over the years that get you on a tangent and really get a really good discussion going for the group 
rather than me reading off PowerPoint slides or telling a story about some fishing opportunity. Um, I've had really good, you know, audience interaction. And I don't know if we're going to get that as much on a Zoom meeting. We did do. But who knows? It could be the start of something phenomenal. We did one last year with a local anglers club. And um, I think it was about like 20 or 30 guys. We had done it in person the year prior and it was like 75 people. You know, they just, you know, hired us to come in and speak and talk about bluefin fishing. It went fishing, well. But it I went, mean, it went would... pretty well. We incorporated as much video as we could just to kind of, and then mm-hmm. we just narrated it, you know, to try to get away from the PowerPoint, which we're fortunate because we have yeah. a lot of footage. So right. it was actually pretty good, but I just don't know how it would be with 300 people on there, you know? It's tough, too, because I would say out of the, I don't remember how many people were on it, but say there was 50 people on it, 25 of them had their screens off and were just listening. You know, right. we're, we're, we're on, they were on the, I guess you could call it small seminar. They were there for the small seminar, but they weren't active. They were doing their own thing and not really paying attention. So you couldn't really read everybody either. You know, when you're standing up in front of people, you can... Even though you're talking and concentrating, you can kind of read off the audience by, you know, if they're, are they laughing? Are they clapping? Are they, you know, you hear like the gasps, like, oh, that was a crazy, you know, footage that we just showed. And you don't really get all of that uh, on a Zoom call. Yeah. You know, you might get half of it, but, you know, everyone's muted. That's what you I know, mean. You it's, know, it's, it's hard. It's, That's... Um, I still think it's, it's way better than not doing anything. And I think that's probably the way to go is at this time is to do something online like you're talking about. But it's tough, you know. It's tough for everybody right now. Absolutely. And and I think it's just the uncharted territory. Right. It makes it even more difficult. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think it's going to be it's just a change, really. I think we're going to lose. I know for us, we'll probably lose some guys that wanted to just come to the seminar to come to the seminar. But I've also had people message me and saying i haven't heard anything about the seminar are you still doing something i have guys that want to go which i'm blown away right but that's how everybody feels so differently on on the COVID issue and rightfully so it's the health card you can't push too much on that um but it's also regional you go to different areas of the country and i found that the fishing crowd how they felt, even if they were from New York City, let's just say, or an urbanized area, they were free. They were, yeah, they were not as concerned about COVID as some of, let's just say, some of my friends were. I have friends that told me, you're nuts. I can't believe you're on a boat with people. You should be inside locked up. Just, just like mind-blowing. It How is, could you not yeah. be outdoors? If that's what you want to do. But right. you have some people that are really fearful of COVID. I have family and health that wear face shields every day in a hospital. I think they're crazy, but that's how they feel. I look at it like this. It's it's a lot safer than walking through the grocery store. (laughs) Like going to a grocery store with thousands of people. Everyone's touching everything. Tens of thousands of people a day. Everybody's touching the same freaking milk jug that you are. Or breathing on it or sneezing on it or what people do some weird shit in the grocery store. Let's let's talk you know so, so, I mean, you, you look at it that way, it's like we're just we're just dealing with it, just the tip of the iceberg with really the general public. It's, yeah. it's nothing, really. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a lot safer it's, than it's being on a bus, you know? 
on a public bus or whatever on a train or you know any of that open air outside exactly and a lot of people said that this year too that they said this was one of the few activities they could do and everybody was okay with it oh i'm going fishing okay cool you know, they didn't get a lot of flack from maybe family right. or from, you know, whatever. Um, so I thought that was cool. But seminars, I don't know, man. I, I hope we come up with a good solution. I really do. You guys I, I will. I know you out. will. You're smart. You guys are innovative. I think, I think people want it, want some sort of product or some option. Right. Put it through that way. An option of some kind. Videos are a cool idea, though. See, we don't have footage. I just... I you can't do everything. Do it. I give you guys a lot of credit. You guys have dude hours, and you take the time to do it. Yeah, it's tremendous. Makes a huge difference in getting clients for for us, anyways. You know, it's I'm we have sure. su- we have such our fishery doesn't change all that all that much. You know, it's it's right. a pretty simple you know quote unquote inshore offshore fishery. So any exposure that we can give to our clients ahead of time, the better. You know, right. It's tough for us, too, because, like, every – looking at it on a tuna perspective, most days you're just, as you know, waiting for that one opportunity, you know? It's it's different from probably the majority of your trips where you know you're going to get – you're going to catch something. may not be the species or the size or whatever you want, but some of these trips, I mean, some of these guys are walking away with catching mackerel, (laughs) you know? Yeah. They're not – Fishing all day for one It doesn't happen all the time, but, you know, out of – X amount of trips, there's a dozen or so, or, you know, some years or more, some years or less that you don't see a single thing or have a single thing happen. You don't even hook a shark. So it's, uh, it's tough. But the footage definitely helps set those expectations for right. us a little bit the more. footage helps. Absolutely. Have you guys explored, like, do you have other opportunities like fishing for schoolies or anything like that? It just went, if they come through, you know, certain they times of the year... Yeah. This year they were kind of sporadic, pretty much all year, and then um, sep- end of September, October, and now November. Uh, there's been a ton of small fish, you know. No and, kidding. Yeah, I mean, we had some days. We don't get the we don't get the quantities of bites that a lot of like people like you guys get in those open water fish. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like the I feel like the fish. A lot of the, the schools of fish that come through here are more concent, like heavily, heavily concentrated, and are in smaller groups. So, okay. but we had we had probably three weeks straight of, you know, if you were out there when the sun was coming up, you'd be surrounded by, I don't know, tens and thousands of fish. We had crashing. We had three weeks in a row where the first bite was out of our hand every day for three weeks straight. Huh. Yeah. Literally and then, and then, and then the you, you know, you get a bite every hour, half hour for the first four to five hours of the day. And then it was over and done with, and you're kind of, you might get lucky and get one bite in the afternoon, but it was, right. uh, you know, the amount of small fish, there were tons of small fish out East, but you're going over 300 to 800 pounders. You know, you're literally steaming over the 300 to 800 pounder grounds to get to the smaller fish. And we, 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 right. we opt, you know, we gave the charters an option. Hey guys, you want to go out, you'll probably get a small fish to bring home to eat. Or do you want to go after the giant? You may not get one or you may hook one and lose one, but you have the opportunity to catching one of the biggest fish in the world in nine out of 10 want to go for giants. Um, right. Right. you know, so it's just, it's tough. It's, 
We did have we did have some time though where in October where it was a lot of mixed bag. It was forty inches and hundred and ten inches in the same mixed. schools mixed. Right. You know, wow. so that's crazy. Yeah. Now you guys are definitely seeing more and more bluefins, right? Oh, Every yeah. year. Dude. It's insane. I mean, especially jo- like bigger fish, you know, back in like it's not even that long ago, but I'm gonna say two thousand six through eleven, there was a ton of small fish and not many fish over eighty inches. Mm-hmm. Um now it's tons and tons of fish over eighty inches. And then random times of the year, there's tons and tons of small ones either mixed in with them or they like swap. You know, the small ones will come in, get on the herring, get on the mackerel for three, four weeks, and then they go 20, 30 miles east and you're back to just single big ones, you know, milling through in groups of three to six fish. Um, It's just so, it's, it's crazy like how it changes and. You know, for some reason, that August time frame is when most of the real big jumbos are around our area where we're fishing. Okay. Last three years in a last three four years in a row, mid July we get a push. We've been getting a push of like uncatchable hammers, like hundred and ten inch plus fish, and then right. going into August, it's a lot of like ninety inch plus stuff. The last yep. three years, you know. In September, October has been mixed bag, mixed bag, and and usually a ton of bites. You know, for a ton of bites for us is you know four to seven bites, eight bites a day. That's quality fishing. It is that's, for that's, a day trip, and and a lot of those bites are five, six, seven hundred pounders. You know, and those are the days that we have to release. So right, you know, it's it's, it's good. Yeah, obviously. And the next day, <laughs> there's there's a hundred and fifty boats on a commercial day, and you get four shorts. <laughs> you know, that's how it goes. So, oh god! As long as everyone, oh, as long as everyone's happy, though, right? Right. As long as, as, long as the chart is happy, <laughs> we're all happy. Right. <laughs> how do you guys deal with having the charters on there and uh, like commercial situation, like a killfish situation? What what's, what do you guys do for that? We, it's a part take of a our deep breath. Take no. a deep breath. Yeah. It's a part of our morning orientation. Right. So with our safety speech okay. and stuff, it's a explanation of what our regulations or quote unquote regulations are at the time. I mean, right. things were nuts with COVID this year and like, you know, buy days, non buy days, the buyers were yeah. dictating all that. So this year isn't a really good, good example of that, but we give them that option in the morning and like you were saying, just try to feel them out. Like, is this group truly want to harvest, sell or whatever a giant or they want to go home with meat? So we just right. try to triage the situation in the morning, kind of get a sense of what direction they want to lean. And then usually what ends up happening, you know, we recommend to people, you know, if we get a short right away in the morning if you're pro- and you want a giant, you know, release it, let's keep going. But if it's, one o'clock in the afternoon it's a different story you know so it's like anything as far as as far as like catching commercial fish with charters it's all just being proactive you know we spend the whole way out which for us you know we're slow boating we're only going 15 knots so we got an hour to talk about whatever and i'm going to say half that time is talking about if they've never done it if they've never been on the boat with us it's talking about the gear how, you know, how we're fighting them, um, you know, to be careful, the leaders on the deck, uh, where we're putting the rods, you know, once we get a bite, where we're moving the rods, the other holders, which, you know, going through all that. And, right, you right. know, if, if you're just going out 
even with your buddies and you just kind of let Expect it all, them to let it it all happen, it typically turns into, into a disaster. But, you know, we just tell people if you're not comfortable doing something, just get your camera out, get your phone out. You know, I know it sounds ridiculous, but, you know, it takes this six passengers on the boat or five or four and you're hooking one fish on one rod. You know, 95% of the fights, everyone does a lap twice through the battle because they're usually over an hour battle um, on the bigger fish anyways. So, like, everybody's got to get a chance. And when we get a bite, there's only two other rods in the water. We don't need all six people rushing to the back. So, we kind of go through all that. You know, you reel in, you get to the balloon. Typically, you can keep on reeling, let the balloon slide down. We go over how to take the weight off. Um, or like just understand kind of the tone of our voice right. 90% of the time. If we go tight, no yelling, everyone relax, lines right. going, fish Which going away from the, the boat, going? take your time clearing, get our stuff in clean. So if we pull the hook, we can redeploy. Right. But if you hear my voice well, going up straight up gorilla panic. or gorilla panic going on right. and you need to lift the rod <laughs> over cause we're, you know, under the boat and free spool or up in the ball or whatever, you know, I'm yelling at you cause I love you. You know, that's just setting those expectations. Yep. Um, and at the end of the day, people aren't good at it. You know that you have some to just, are. You have it's, to just accept it. You yeah. have to accept that they they have trouble staying on fish, and you have to help them and coach them. And you know, I, I think it's a very uh, personable job. Yeah, you know, you're for right sure. hand in hand with people, coaching them through every aspect of the fight, down to the like selling part of it. Though you know. It's a unique situation, charter boat with the ability to still commercial fish. Um, but we just split it. A th- we give them a third. You know, that's usually, yeah, it usually is, that seems to be the standard up here anyways, but third of the no, boat. Third of, yeah. 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 I think it's important. And usually ends up paying for their trip. You know, they get a 95 incher at five bucks a pound or whatever. I mean, they're going to go walk, walk away with maybe their trip back, you know? Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, or they or they put it towards a trip next year. They use it like a gift card, which they do a lot of. Right. You know, then you right. get them, then you get them coming back or book two or three days because they had a good time and you know it's all about it's always thinking about the future, trying to get that customer back year after year. Because once you get enough a big enough customer base, you really don't have to advertise much for yourself. Speaking of the future, speaking of the future, we've been going. 90 minutes plus here boys oh, so um take the next couple minutes to kind of wrap things up but dean first off thanks for doing this with us this was this was awesome i mean i know i learned a lot and it's i know we met a couple years ago doing a workshop down in jersey and it was great meeting you then but um i've definitely learned a lot in this combo so it's been it's much appreciated um this is cool this is really cool i like this it's fun isn't it we'll do it again we'll do it again this winter yeah man for sure how do people find you how do they book a trip for canyon runner kind of go through the the marketing spiel here for us so we can make sure people can find you okay (laughs) (laughs) um you can email me c-a-p-t dean d-e-a-n-e at canyonrunner.com um if you want to book a boat or book the boat canyonrunner.com um, or just email us directly at, at my email. Um, that's a starting point. And then, you know, I have an Instagram account and a Facebook. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's how you can get in touch with me whenever. Cool. Um, yeah. No, 
it's a good conversation. Good to, good to uh, see you guys again. And, uh, you know, let's do it again. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Thank you very much. Do you want to, uh, end this for us or you want me? No, to you're it? on it. All right. We're going to end it with OG's three words of wisdom. Number one, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Second, always trust your instincts. And the third, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really, really appreciate yeah, it. Fun. You got it. All that right, was Charles. awesome. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We want to take a moment to, again, thank our sponsors, Mass Bay Guides, LT Marine Products, and Deep Apparel. If you guys haven't checked them out on social media already, uh, please make sure you do so. Um, see new products, fishing reports, and uh, and what everyone has going on into um, into next season. For the latest content, uh, podcast info, fishing reports, general updates, please make sure that you check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Seabros um, Fishing, Mass Bay Guides, or our personal accounts: MBG Taylor and MBG Brian. Um, if you have ideas for podcast topics, podcast guests, you know, where they're on there all the time, very responsive, please don't hesitate to, to reach out and, um, and, uh, shoot the breeze with us. If you, if you want to talk fishing or if you want to just brainstorm on the podcast. Um, also if you are interested in getting some Seabros swag, uh, maybe one of our tuna mark patch hats that seem to be pretty popular, uh, we came out with buffs this year that have like a wolf pack on them that are pretty cool, like a wolf pack of tuna or whatever fish species that you like to mark on your fish finder. Uh, those are also available at the Seabros website. So just visit seabrosfishing.com right there on the front page. You can uh, scroll through the the gallery of products that we offer uh, so far. That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and stay tight.